Praise God. The first intense persecution and the resulting spreading of the good news. So we will begin where Pastor Wayne took off. Um, last week, he uh, expounded on Stephen's defense. They accused him of blasphemy. Now, I know I made fun of blasphemy last time I preached. You know, oh, horrors, you know. There is, there is a, a slanderous aspect to blasphemy. There is a, a nasty aspect to blasphemy. But for the most part, I don't think God's too worried about people insulting him. You don't see Christians rioting because someone insults Jesus Christ. That's, that's just, that's insane. Why would you do that? We're not here to, to force people to believe. I remember many years ago, we had a guest speaker uh, a few years back, uh, Pastor Joe Whiting from Flagstaff, Arizona. And I believe it was him who was mentioning years ago when he first got saved, he got this biker guy saved. And, uh, and he says that the biker comes and says, Hey, Pastor, I got one of my buddies saved. I had to stuff his head in the toilet to get him to repent. <laughs> <laughs> he, <laughs> he forced him to, okay, okay, I'll, I'll say the prayer. He probably didn't mean it, but <laughs> we're not here to force people into Christianity, into believing in Jesus. Amen? It's something that we, a person has to, as God draws them, a person has to voluntarily respond. So let's get with the message here. It says that uh, Stephen gives a speech and First of all, before he even speaks, the Bible says that they, they, they all, everybody in the Sanhedrin turns and looks at Stephen, and his face is glowing like an angel. And if that didn't freak them out, I don't know what would. And then he gives his speech, and in, um, in verse, uh, where was it? At the end of his speech, I heard one pastor say, you know, if you read it, he calls them stubborn. You're stubborn people. And, and if you read it, not understanding the gospel message of grace and salvation, it's, it appears like Stephen is chewing them out. But I heard one pastor say, you know, he probably was weeping. And and must and it was motivated by sorrow. You people, you're you're resisting God. Why? Why would you resist God so much? And it doesn't move the Sanhedrin to repentance. It moves them to insanity. It says when they heard these things, they were enraged. They were cut to the heart. The Bible says in the King James. Their response to Stephen's speech, they were enraged. They were cut to the heart. They were infuriated. This is the same response in chapter 5 and verse 33 when they heard Peter and John's response to the command never to speak in that name again. Peter and John say, if you think we should obey you, that's your business, but we're going to obey God. And it says that they were furious. They were incensed and they plotted to kill John and James for speaking about Jesus. And here, here's what they do. They, they ground their teeth at him, or they gnashed on him. In the King James it says they gnashed on him with their teeth. And if you don't, it sounds like they come up and started biting him. No, no, no. 
They ground their own teeth. They were gnashed. They're all. They got mad. They were nuts. <laughs> Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus marvels at the centurion's face, and then he begins to chide, the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the parable of the marriage feast, the, uh, the people give excuses of why they can't come, why they don't want to be uh, in the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, and, and the master, the king, uh, has invited people to his son's wedding. And in Matthew chapter 22, he tells his servants, go into the highways and the byways and bring the people in. And then the king comes in to see what's happening and and to uh, join in the festivities. And the Bible says he sees a man that has come in and does not have a wedding garment on. And how'd you get in here like that? And the man was speechless. And the Bible says that the king says to his servants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into out of darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's another parable Jesus gives about a king whose uh, return is delayed. And one of the servants, he's he's a bad guy. He's he's beating the servants. He's getting drunk. And then uh, they say, the king comes back. He says, cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, the one servant who uh, takes the talents and hides it and doesn't do anything with it, Jesus says that the king says, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Glory to God. In Psalms 112, verse 10, it says these words, the wicked will see the prosperity and honor of the upright and will be grieved. They will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Notice that it says they were cut to the heart. According to Dake's commentary, this literally means they were sawn through, cut to the heart, filled with spite, malice. Everybody ever read uh, uh, the Gettysburg Address by uh, Abraham Lincoln? Somebody... I guess I'm making a bunch of breathing noise here. Is that better? Now you can't hear me breathing. Okay. This thing. Put it to the side. Okay. Can you still hear me? Am I still? All right. Okay. We'll try this this way. Anyway, somebody uh, wrote a book. Actually, quite a few people have written history books about the American Civil War. And one of the famous lines in Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address was that we will proceed with malice toward none. In other words, forgiveness had to be brought out. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Their malice, their their murderous conduct was just boiling after they heard Stephen's speech. They were sawn in two, it literally means. They were tortured in their minds. They could not grasp what Stephen was telling them. They idolized the law, yet they did not keep it. And without voting, without a verdict being launched in this trial, 
What do they do? But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. And one translation says he looked up to heaven. And he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So he says, hey guys, I see the glory of God and I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And everybody goes, really, where? No, that blows my mind. He tells them, I can see into heaven. Guys, look. And they don't look. They don't, they are not at all interested. All they've got is that hatred in their heart. They're cut to the heart. That just amazes me. Hallelujah. He saw the glory of God. Well, guess what? Stephen's full of the Holy Spirit. He sees God the Father and Jesus. Bingo, there's the Trinity. Amen? There's the Trinity. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And if you read the rest of it, he goes, man, that was really cool. No, he doesn't. In verse 5, he says, woe is me. I am undone. That's the proper response when God begins to reveal himself to you. Oh, my goodness. God, I know. I am not worthy of your love. I have been, uh, uh, I've been a devilish. I've been evil before you, God. How could you love me, God? The first time I ever heard somebody ever tell you, anybody ever tell you God loves you? You have no idea what I've been doing my life. I've been serving God for 40 years now, and I have to still come before God and say, God, help me. There's more to this than I've already received. There's more to come. The best is yet to come. Amen? God's got good things for us, yet we still, it seems we, I don't know about you, but we still struggle with stuff. Amen? We still look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you're supposed to be a mighty man of God. And we look at ourselves and we say, not me. But God sees us that way. Anyway, I digress. The reason I'm saying that is because the proper response. When we meet God, God is holy. That's the big deal. God is holy, and we are not by ourselves. We are not holy. Amen? Do I get a witness? We are not holy without Jesus. We are not. We are vile and disgusting before God without the salvation provided by Jesus Christ. Amen? That's good preaching, because a lot of people think that human nature is basically good. No, we're not. You don't have to teach a little child how to lie, how to be selfish. It's natural. That's human nature. Praise God. But Jesus is standing at the right hand of the God. Why is he standing? In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Jesus is the expression of the glory of God and the exact representation of his nature, God's nature. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. 
when he provided purification for sins by offering himself, he took his seat at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, says, Jesus is raised from the dead and seated at the Father's right hand. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 64, Jesus is at his trial, and they tell him, We command you, tell us plainly, if you are the Son of God. And Jesus says, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. In Daniel chapter 17, verse 13, the Son of Man was given an everlasting kingdom by the Ancient of Days. When you go home, read Daniel chapter 7. This is the trial of unrighteousness. Thrones were set. A trial has taken place. And the judgment is pronounced against the kingdom of darkness. And the Son of Man is given an everlasting kingdom. 88 times Jesus, or 84 times, excuse me, in the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And this is one of the reasons why the Jewish leaders killed him. Because by calling himself the Son of Man, not a Son of Man, but the Son of Man, he is claiming, and they understood completely, that he's telling them that he is God come in the flesh. And so Stephen sees him standing, not sitting, because of gets Jesus gets Jesus gets up. Says, hey, what's going on down there? As if he didn't know. But Jesus gets up. He's interested. Amen. How many know? God is interested in the most minute details of our lives. The Bible says he knows how many hairs are on, the number of hairs are on our head. It's like a million. For some of us, it's less. For some of it, my granddaughter told me I was strange because when I brush my beard, I save all the red whiskers. <laughs> I've been saving them for three years. You wouldn't believe. I didn't count them, but you wouldn't believe how many have come out of my face. <laughs> That's a lot. But anyway, the point is, <laughs> the point is that God is very, very interested in our lives. Amen? Praise God. Let's go on. So their response was, man, that is awesome. I wish we could see that too. No, no, no. Absolutely not. They cried out with a loud voice. They started yelling. Oh, we don't want to hear it. Many times when... Uh, uh, people were executed uh, by hanging or whatever in the old days. Sometimes they would allow the person to make a statement. Other times they would have uh, the soldiers uh, beating drums so nobody could hear what the person was saying and so that no one in the crowd could say anything. And so this is what they did. They made a lot of noise so nobody could hear anything good. They rushed at him with one mind. There was no vote. They didn't even say, well, is he guilty or not? They just assumed, oh, that's it. We don't want to hear anymore. Blasphemy means to speak evil of, insult or curse or defame or slander. 
It is the only unforgivable sin that Jesus pronounced if done maliciously and knowingly. Ever try to witness to somebody and they just don't want to hear it? They just, they're not interested. They're actually kind of opposed to it. I think, this is just my opinion, it may be because they knowingly resist God. Who knows? God will sort it out for them. Hallelujah. And so what do they do? They drown out Stephen's voice. They were unable to hear Stephen's supposed blasphemies. He spoke words against this temple, saying that Jesus would destroy it. In A.D. 70, Titus, the Roman general, actually did destroy their beloved temple. They cast him out of the city. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 23 says that if you're going to stone somebody, take them outside the camp. Exodus chapter 20, one of the Ten Commandments, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Hallelujah. They stoned him. They cast him out of the city. They dragged him. And the witnesses... Remember the witnesses, they were paid. You guys, they were paid by the, they were bribed to bring these charges against Stephen. And the witnesses, according to the word of God, are the first ones to throw the rocks at him. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have been standing still. I would have been running around trying not to get hit. There was a video on uh, the internet several years back of some nation, it was obviously, we can tell by the way the people were dressed, it was obviously a Muslim nation. And they were chasing this guy in the city and throwing rocks at him. And finally he got knocked down on the sidewalk and the guy comes up with a big rock, boom, right on his head. Okay, he's dead. We rid the earth of him. He probably blasphemed. And so these people took it into their minds and their own hands to exact vengeance. Isn't it interesting, Jesus said that uh, there'll come a day when people will kill the followers of Jesus thinking they're doing God a favor. Hey God, we got rid of this guy. What? That's insane. <laughs> if God wants to kill somebody, he'll do it himself, amen? It's not our business, it's not our job to condemn people. Jesus didn't come to condemn people. He came to save people, amen? Praise God. Two or three witnesses, according to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 7, to throw the first stone. Hallelujah. Let's go on. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is the first time we ever hear about this guy. And the, the young man, according to Matthew Henry's commentary or, or Dake's commentary, is someone between the ages of 20 and 40 years old. So he's not, he's not over 40, apparently, which is some type of a big deal, I guess, because Saul apparently has a destiny. That's why he's mentioned here. Hallelujah. 
Praise God. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out. He prays. <laughs> they're, they're killing him, and he prays. Good idea. Receive my spirit. I will stop right here for a minute because I want to expound on this, some things I found about a spirit. It's the inner man or the soul. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those that can kill the body, but not the soul. Your soul is more kind of like your feelings and your emotions. Your spirit is the part of you that knows and understands. It's your inner man. In the New American Standard Bible, Romans chapter 7, verse 22 is translated, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. The Amplified Bible calls it the new nature. When we received Jesus and we were born again, God gave us a new nature. And it's our new nature that concurs with the law of God, that the law of God is good. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's awesome prayer to the Ephesians, he says, I pray that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. The Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary says, to be infused with power or infused by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And he kneels down. Falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. And I believe that he cried out with a loud voice so that they could hear him. Because the crowd, I'm sure, was still probably yelling, making noise, throwing rocks. And he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Isn't this what Christians are supposed to say? Lord, forgive them. God, I forgive them. The body without the spirit is dead in James chapter 2, verse 26. He prayed, receive my spirit. And then he tells, ask God, God, I know you're watching. Forgive them the same thing Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yet they were, what's the word, hell-bent on killing Jesus. And Stephen here also, he fell asleep. Do not, he calls, he knows that Jesus is the Lord of all. And he calls on the Lord and says, do not hold this sin against them. He fell asleep. His body quit working. That's what happens. It's not. There, there's some people that believe when you die, your body goes back to the dust, your bones will stick around for a little while, but you, you just disappear. Other people think that the Bible says he fell asleep. That means that, that you're, you're not conscious anymore. But the Bible clearly states that people in hell are conscious. After your spirit leaves your body, your body is with the Lord. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. We are confident and willing to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I went to my primary care doctor the other day, and, and they give you a questionnaire about depression. Would you, do you, 
You ever feel like you'd be better off if you were not alive anymore? Well, from the biblical perspective, yes, we would be much better off to be uh, out of this world and be with Jesus forever. Amen? Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. But I have a purpose here, so it's not my time to go yet. And I'm not sending myself ahead. Amen? That's not right. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Many of those, this is an end-time prophecy, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So Stephen dies. He's the first Christian martyr. He dies. He fell asleep. Literally means he dies. And here's this word. You see it all over the place in the book of Acts. And Saul approved of his execution. Although it was illegal for the Jewish people under the Romans to execute anybody. So this was not an execution. This was a murder. Saul was not only in the Amplified Bible says, not only consenting to Stephen's death, he was pleased and entirely approving. Well, we got rid of that troublemaker. We're not to hear him preach at this anymore. This Saul, in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, he says, I studied under Gamaliel, however you pronounce his name. In Acts chapter 5, verse 34, this Gamaliel, who taught Paul and others, advised the Sanhedrin, leave these people alone because we don't want to be found fighting against God. So what did they do? They ignored his advice and they decided to fight against God. John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. Jesus promises to send the helper. who is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify of me. There arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And miraculously, the apostles stuck around. I don't know how and why, but they did. I believe that was a miracle that eventually some of them got killed, uh, caught and killed. But Jesus told them. Remember his instructions in the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations beginning in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what did they do? They all stayed in Jerusalem. So God apparently had to help them. You guys, supposed to go out spreading the gospel. Supposed to go to the ends of the earth. They didn't even know North America and South America existed at that time. Just go everywhere and tell everybody about Jesus. And what did they do? They stayed nice and comfortable in Jerusalem. We like it here. So God had to kind of, guys, get going. But I'm sure God was more gracious than that. Amen? These things, Jesus said, I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble or distrust God. He promises the Holy Spirit because we need to trust God. Amen? That's the bottom lines. Trust and obey. That's how you prove that you love God. That's how we know that we love God. Trust and obey. 
Obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen? In verse 2 of chapter 16 in John's Gospel, Jesus says, they'll put you out of the synagogues. Yeah, the time's coming that whoever kills you will think he's offering God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. A great persecution arose against the church. And, there's that word again, and there arose, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. In the Jewish culture of that day, there were paid professional mourners. But I don't know, it doesn't say if they had them at this funeral or not. But they had a funeral for Stephen, and they made great lamentation over him. Because they mourned deeply. He was a murder victim. Only the Romans were permitted to execute anyone. And he got murdered. And so they made great lamentation over him. Why? Remember what it said about Stephen. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And signs and wonders and miracles were being done through him. And not in secret. In public. And these people, they secretly bribed men to go and accuse Stephen of wrongdoing. And he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was doing good works. And they murdered him for that. To me, that's insanity. Just, it's like, <laughs> I got a text message on my phone. It's obviously a scam. Some guy won, uh, what was it, $2 billion or $1 billion in the lottery not too long ago. And uh, so uh, I forget his name. So I got a text message supposedly from him. Uh, he's giving away some of his money. And uh, uh, you're eligible to, for a million dollars. Just... Uh, Follow this link. Uh, here's his agent's name and phone number. I said, okay, sure. Now, that would have been nice. I would mind somebody giving me a million dollars. But obviously, it's a scam. But can you look up the guy that won the, the big lottery recently? He has to have bodyguards now because people are crazy. But can you imagine? It wouldn't love to be able to give millions of dollars away, but I don't have millions of dollars. But I do give what God tells me to give. Amen? And Stephen was doing good works, and they murdered him. So I'm glad they had a good funeral for him. I like what it says in Ecclesiastes. It says, It's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting, because there... At the house of mourning, the wise will consider their own end. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready to depart from this world? Hallelujah. But Saul, they were scattered. Devout men buried. Stephen made great lamentation. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He had authority. He had, he was like a, the, the FBI or whatever you want to call him. And he, he went into people's homes, interviewed them. Do you believe in Jesus? 
Yes. Okay, you're under arrest. What? What for? For believing in Jesus? That's a crime? Apparently, in his eyes, it was. He dragged off men and women. Didn't matter. Men, women, children, I bet he took everybody and committed them to prison. There are lots of people around the world in prison for their faith in Jesus. This is uh, the latest newsletter from the Voice of the Martyrs. Does anybody know where the country of Burkina Faso is? It's in Africa. In Western Africa, it used to be called Upper Volta. Used to be a French colony. It's bordered by Mali and Niger on the north and the south. And the Islamists are slowly but surely overtaking the nation. But they're not just targeting Christians there. They're targeting other Muslims too. And what that has done, it has made these other Muslims who are being persecuted open to the gospel of Jesus. They believe in Jesus. It's just not the same Jesus that we believe in. And so a way has been made. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul writes in verse 12 and 13, My imprisonment has helped advance the gospel so that the whole palace guard and everyone else knows why I am in chains. Remember Paul's defense towards the end of his life. The king Agrippa says, you're crazy. And he said, no, I'm not crazy. He says, you know what? I wish that everyone who hears me would become altogether the same as me, except for these chains, that everyone that I speak to would become born again, that everyone that I share the gospel with would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That should be our prayer. Oh, God, that everyone I speak to would be open to the gospel, that everyone I try to share the love of God with would receive the love of God, would receive Jesus as their Savior. It is so frustrating to talk to people and they have no inclination whatsoever and sometimes are hostile to the gospel. What craziness, what insanity. What heartbreak, amen, that people reject Jesus, don't want to hear about it. But glory to God, just like Joseph told his brothers when they came to Egypt, you sold me into slavery. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Saul meant it for evil, to go and put people in prison because of their faith in Jesus, but God meant it for good because the gospel began to spread. Those who were scattered abroad. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Hey, why'd you come back? People, remember in, on the day of Pentecost, there was people from all over the place. And they decided to settle in Jerusalem. But then they had to go. We're not, we're, Pastor Jack Harris over there in Kurdistan of Iraq, there was, I believe, uh, four or five pastors and their wives that were chased out of Baghdad. Said They were told, leave now or we'll kill you. 
and they left. They came to Kurdistan of Iraq, met up with Pastor Jack Harris, and now, as a result, we're having impact. We give to that ministry, having impact, not only in Kurdistan of Iraq, but in Europe for the refugees that come out of Syria because of the war, an impact in Egypt also. They went, I believe, some of them went back to the places where they came from. And then their neighbors, why'd you come back? Well, <clears throat> they were going to kill us. Why were they going to kill you? Because we gave our lives to Jesus, because we received Jesus as our Lord and King, because we got saved. Oh, I remember the day I got saved, Thanksgiving Day, 1981. I asked, what do you mean you're saved? How do you get saved? It's just a simple prayer. Ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Turn from your life and get a new life in Jesus. It's okay. Praise God. The enemy meant for evil. God meant for good. Philip went down to the city. Actually, the... There's some controversy as to whether it was the city of Samaria or a city of Samaria. Either way, Philip goes there, and he begins to preach the gospel. Remember in John chapter 4, Jesus is at Jacob's well, and he talks to the Samaritan woman, and the whole city comes out and receives Jesus as their king, as their Lord. He proclaimed Christ. So it doesn't say if this is the same city or if this is a different city. In any event, it's in Samaria. The enemies of the Jews, we don't like them. But they receive the gospel. Praise God. Goes down there and he preaches four things. Back up just a second. Eh, let's see. Nope. It's in this verse. People who left, they went about preaching the word. Philip goes to Samaria. Secondly, he proclaims to them the Christ, the Messiah. And the crowds with one accord pay attention to what being said. They heard him. They saw signs that he was doing. Hallelujah. So they preached the word, he preached the name of Jesus, he preached the things concerning the kingdom of heaven, he proclaimed Christ, and the result was revival. I know it doesn't say that here, but it says, they saw the signs that he did. Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. I don't believe we're supposed to go around looking for unclean spirits. I believe these people came to Philip looking for help. But Jesus said, we will do that. I've never done that. Not yet, anyway. Hope I never have to, but <laughs> we'll see what happens. But then he said, many who are paralyzed or lame were healed. Paralysis is an awful thing. My friend that I went to the South Pacific with, he was partially paralyzed from the chest down as a result of an accident. Now he's completely paralyzed from the chest down. 
because he didn't follow the doctor's instructions and do what he was supposed to do. I don't know if God slowed him down so he wouldn't continue the crazy life he had been living, but in any event, they're blessed. They're blessed. Many who are paralyzed or lame are healed. It's a wonderful thing to be healed. Amen? You and I, the Bible says, Jesus said that these signs will follow them that believe. In Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, speak with new tongues, take up serpents, and I don't believe he means we're supposed to do that on purpose because how many know over in some of the uh, uh, eastern countries they have snake charmers who do a better job than the snake handlers here in this country. I don't believe we're supposed to do that on purpose. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. I don't believe we're also supposed to do that on purpose to test God. But it says they will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Now, how many know who Finnis Dake was? He was a Bible uh, expositor. He uh, supposedly logged in over 100,000 hours studying the Bible. And he's got his commentary in the Bible there. Uh, it's a nice thick Bible like this, really thin pages, lots of information. Some manuscripts do not have Mark chapter 16, verse 19 to the end. Only two out of thousands, thousands, over 4,000, 6,000 or so manuscripts, ancient manuscripts have these verses. Only two don't have them. And so he gives 10 reasons to include these verses in the New Testament. That being said, we have the privilege we have the responsibility, if you will, to pray for the sick. Lay hands on them and believe God that they will recover. We're not the ones that heal them. I like what uh, there's a, a, a minister named Dr. Leon von Royen. When he prays for people, he says, God, Lord Jesus, lay your nail-scarred hands on mine and touch this person. Praise God. And God heals Sometimes I don't know why, I don't know how, I just know that I've seen it happen. I've seen it done. I've seen people get healed. I'll never forget at work one day, a young man overheard him saying, my brother's in the hospital, he's got pneumonia, one lung's filled up, the other one's filling up, they don't expect him to make it. And I asked him, can I come and pray for your brother? He said, yes, what hospital, blah, blah, blah. Called my wife. Said, Kurt, get ready, we're going to go. And we went, and everything occurred just like God told me it would. I was, <laughs> funny thing, I knew where I was when I heard from God. I was on the roof of the building I was working on, and I heard God say, you're going to meet his family, his parents. Okay. So I get my wife, and we go to the hospital, and there's his parents. I didn't know it was his parents at first. And, and I asked about the young man. His name was James. And uh, then the young man from work came and introduced us. And we 
went in and we, and we opened the door to the room. And there on the bed is this young man with pneumonia. And the first thing that struck me was, he looks just like my son. And I thought, I would want someone to pray for my son if he was in this situation. And so we said, let's pray. And I'll never forget this. We laid hands on him. And the strangest thing felt like electricity in my hands. We prayed real quick prayer. I saw my, the young man's brother the next day at work. He was all excited. He said, my brother's going to make it. His, his lungs are emptying out. Praise God. And, uh, and it turns out that this young man and his family used to go to a church of the Nazarene. And they believed in healing. And we concurred. And God's going to do it again. God is able. God is willing to do it all the time. Amen. Praise God.